put this in my back. Can you hear me? Sound good? Awesome. I'm going to put this on the ground if that's okay. Set that right there. Cool. Hey, so it is an honor and a blessing to be here with you guys today. And I want to thank you, Concord Bible Church, for your partnership with William Jessup University. Because I know if it were not for our church partners, Jessup would not be um, where we're at today. And if it wasn't actually for an endowment scholarship, um, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to finish my bachelor's degree. Um, and maybe this is divulging a little bit too much information too quickly, but I actually lost an academic scholarship after my first year because of a low GPA. Um, but however, I was, I was awarded an endowment scholarship from someone who believed in my story and believed in me. And today, I'm proud to announce that I am a year away from finishing my master's degree at Jessup in leadership. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to be a life coach. I'm getting a life coaching certification, hence the motivational speaking. And so thank you, like I said, for partnering with Jessup's mission to educate transformational leaders to the glory of God. We know we couldn't do it without you. And I also want to thank you guys for this opportunity to speak to you guys today. Because I recognize the fact that if anyone doesn't deserve to be speaking on stage at a church, it's probably me. At least from human standards, my, my past should probably disqualify me from this opportunity. Uh, I was actually a homeless heroin addict at the age of 23. And then uh, to one day serving as the enrollment recruiter at a Christian university. And, and we're going to get a little bit more into to my story and the journey God's had me on uh, in order to get here today. But although I realize by human standards I don't deserve to be up here, one of the things that I have learned following Jesus the last 13 years is God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he's called. And I'm thankful for this moment and the fact that God's been preparing me even through some of the darkest days of my life. You see, I've had a dream of being a speaker and using God's testimony for my, uh, for my life to inspire other people for many years. Um, but although I've dreamed of one day being up here speaking, that dream has been challenged by a lot of doubt, fear, and opposition. Because of my past, I used to believe that I wasn't smart enough. I believed that I wasn't good enough. I believed that my story, it didn't really matter. But only by God's grace and my belief in God, not in my own abilities, have I continued to pursue this dream that God's placed on my heart. Uh, and there have been many roads leading to this moment the past 38 years. And I know you guys are doing your U40 service, and so I know I just made the cut, so I'm thankful, <laughs> thankful for that. Uh, but I want to begin by asking you guys, what person's story in the Bible do you find yourself relating to the most? I mean, is there someone's story that maybe encourages you, that inspires you? Is there someone you find yourself wanting to be like? Uh, for me, that person is King David. And in 2009, I had the opportunity to become a student at William Jessup University. That was less than one year after giving my life to Jesus. And it was during my undergraduate studies that I got the opportunity to study the books of First and Second Samuel and, and read about David's life, the man that God would refer to as the man after his own heart. But David's story didn't inspire me uh, like most people because of his victories. 
I was actually more intrigued by his ability to overcome defeat, his adversity. Because the hardship that David encountered before being crowned king, that spoke volumes to me. And, uh, and even, even after a life's stained with sin and tragedy, his failures didn't disqualify him from being used by God. And when, as, as I read David's story, that gave me hope. And to know that David eventually would rise after all his trials and all his tribulations to become the greatest king of all time. And I want to start by reading a part of David's story that's often overlooked and not talked about. And it's at his lowest point. And the reason that I want to go in this scripture, because I believe many people know about David's victories, right? We talk about Goliath. We talk about his military conquests, his reign as king over Israel. But I think we often overlook the trials that David had to overcome during his lifetime that God allowed him to go through in order to be the king of Israel and lead the Israelite people. And we pick up the story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 21, and it's starting in in verse 10. And this is David in the city of Gath. So if you have some scripture, if you have your phone, more than welcome to open up, or I'm just going to go ahead and read it. But it's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse 10. This is David at Gath. The scripture says this, that day, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in his presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at that man, he is insane. Why would you bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come in to my house? David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men who were with him. And just to give you guys some context into this story, if you've never had the opportunity to read this part of David's story, the current and first king of Israel, King Saul, became arrogant, and he started disobeying God's commands. And God became upset with Saul, and he actually remove Saul's anointing. And David was then anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king over Israel. And at that time, David was a well-known musician in Israel, and he first actually got called to the palace, not because he was some big, mighty warrior, because his family was wealthy or well-known. He actually got called to the palace because he could play the harp. And every time that he would play for the king, it would actually help the evil spirit subside. So David became a regular at the palace playing for King Saul. And this was at a time when Israel was actually at war with the Philistine army. And Jesse, David's father, asked David to bring food to his brothers who were in the battle. And so David begins to draw near to this battle line, and he hears the giant Goliath defying God and the Israelite Israelite army. And that day forever changed David's life because his love compelled him to do what nobody else would do. 
And with just a sling and a stone, David took on and defeated a giant. And this once unknown shepherd boy from the middle of nowhere, whose father wouldn't even acknowledge him by name, became an instant star. He became the, the Bono, the Jay-Z, the Beyonce of Israel, you know, so to speak. And after that day, David actually became a leader in Saul's military, winning many battles for the Israelite army. And David's fame, he grew so much that people began comparing him to King Saul. And they were dancing in the streets. Saul has slayed his thousands, David ten thousands. And like many people in position of authority, afraid of losing their power, Saul began to despise David. And seeing him as a threat, he sought to have David killed. And which brings David to the very lowest point in his life. The shepherd boy, once anointed king, who defeated Goliath in battle, who rose to fame and fortune, who became a commander in the Israelite military, was now on the run for his life. And he finds himself in the Philistine territory, in the city of Gath of all places, foaming at the mouth and acting insane. Do you guys know who else was from Gath? Goliath was from Gath, the giant that David had defeated in battle. So imagine feeling so wanted, so unloved, so in fear of your life that you decide the best place to go is to the place you're hated and despised. It'd be like if LeBron went to play for the Lakers or Brady went to the Buccaneers or something for any sports fans here. So David, in fear of his life, fakes insanity in front of the Philistine king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers in his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in, in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men who were with him. You see, leading up to that cave of Adullam, David had lost his career, he lost his best friend, he lost his wife, and he was now forced to flee for his life. But what should have been a death sentence for David was actually a stepping stone on his way to one day becoming king. And David knew if he was going to get out of this mess, it wasn't going to be his own work, that it had to be the work of the Lord. Also, I believe David's confidence to faith Goliath to enter that cave of Adullam wasn't only because he had confidence in God. You see, he had been preparing for that moment his entire life. I can imagine David in the field with some slings in the stone, just kind of nailing wine bottles because they didn't have beer cans at the time, of course. And David's past victories actually prepared him for his darkest moment to enter that cave. And what should have been a crippling experience started the process of the army he would need to one day become king. You see, it's at the cave in Adullam that we witnessed just how much people loved and actually believed in David. So much so that they were willing to sacrifice their own safety in order to reach him. You see, those 400 men that came to visit David in the cave became David's greatest warriors. He actually began to train them um, to become warriors. These men would, would be ultimately known as David's mighty man of valor, his navy seals, the elite fighting force of Israel. You see, David was dealt this really bad hand, and each and every one of us sometimes are dealt a really bad hand, but that didn't make his faith in God waver. 
However, I think that some people, we become so consumed by our circumstances, so overwhelmed by our trials that we can easily take our eyes off of God and lose sight of just how far God has allowed us to come, of how faithful God has been to us in our past. You see, I know what it's like to be dealt a bad hand, to have the deck stacked against you, to have people make choices that put you in compromised positions. I know what it's like to have someone make you fear for your life, to not believe in yourself, to lack confidence, to blame others, to believe that you're not good enough. I ultimately know what it's like to no longer want to live because it's been a really long journey for me to get here today. And I've had to face many caves of my own along the way. And so I wanna share with you guys a little bit about the journey God's brought me through uh, to come here at 38 years old to be here today. So um, I was born and raised in Chicago with my mother, father, and two twin sisters until I was 11 years old. And uh, my father was very abusive. My mom and my dad were actually married and divorced three times before I turned 11. Um, And the choices he made um, really set me up for a a really difficult time going into my uh, teenage years. Uh, Since my mom was working two jobs while going to school to become a nurse at the time, I I had to raise myself, and I turned to the streets, and I started getting in trouble at a very young age. By the time I was, when I was 13 years old, I was arrested for the first time. Uh, Between the ages of 13 and 18, I was arrested 11 times. I was released from a boy's prison on my 18th birthday, Um, and after getting out of prison, that's when my life started spiraling out of control. Uh, because I was introduced to heroin. And from the ages of 19 to 23 years old, um, I fought a heroin addiction. And, and during that time, I hurt so many people. It's hard going back there sometimes. Like, I hurt so many people. And it's crazy when you're doing things like that, you'll lie to yourself and, and tell yourself you're, you're only hurting yourself, and it's just not true, right? Like, because imagine my mom who loved me to death that didn't know if I was dead or in prison. Right, the people I lied to, the things I stole, like I didn't care about anyone or anything. Um, and then after, finally, by the grace of God, at 23 years old, I actually burglarized the house so that I could get money to feed my heroin addiction. And I got arrested for that burglary. I hadn't seen my family in a while, but I called my mama from jail and she came um, to bond me out of jail. But when I was in that jail cell, there was actually a Bible in there. And I remember, like, I had been arrested a bunch of times before, and I I think I always had this inherent belief God existed. I had a very difficult time believing God was good. I had a very difficult time believing he was loving, right? Like, why would a good, loving God allow me to experience those caves? Why would he allow me to go through those trials? Why would he allow my dad to hurt me, right? I didn't get it, and I had a lot of unanswered questions, but I remember being in that jail cell, and there was a Bible, and I get down on my knees, and I pick up the Bible, and I say, God, like, if you're here, I need to know. If not, I just don't want to exist. Only time in my life I've ever thought about suicide. My mom comes and bonds me out of jail, and it's hard looking at my mom when I preach. I'm 23 years old. My mom comes and bonds me out of jail, and... Uh, I, went, I left my house to find a basketball court. I just didn't want to be around my family. And uh, she had got a new place in a suburb of Chicago. I didn't know my way around. And so I see this gentleman about my age walking down the street. 
And I asked him where a basketball court was, and he was actually a traveling salesman. He was a traveling door-to-door salesman. He was selling magazine subscriptions door-to-door. Didn't know his way around, but he told me about the job, and he told me way, he told me he was on his way to California. And you know, I, I thought the whole state watching movies my whole life was beaches and bikinis, but I came here, I ended up in <laughs> ended up in Sacramento by a river. So the movies are not always true. Uh, but uh, he told me about the job, and he gave me, uh, gave me his manager's phone number, and I went play basketball. I went home, and I told my mom what happened. And uh, the next day, we went. Uh, we, that night, we actually went to, to meet his manager, and the next day, I left and sold magazine subscriptions door-to-door for two and a half years, traveling around the country, knocking on 100 random strangers' doors a day. And it was during that experience that I spoke to a lot of believers, because thankfully, knocking on a hundred random strangers' doors a day, you're going to run into some Bible thumper that wants to tell you about their faith. And I eventually met a lady who gave me a little Orange New Testament pocket Bible. And I just started reading it every day. And the more I started reading it, that's when God really started taking hold of my heart. Because I, I always wondered before I came to faith in Jesus, like, if God existed, like, why he never made himself evident, right? Why I could never hear him speak. And it wasn't until after I became a believer in Jesus, I realized I never gave him the opportunity, right? Because every time I came to him, it was always like, God, what can you do for me? It wasn't, God, if you're here, I just want to know you. But as I began to open up the scriptures and dive into his word, he began to manifest his love for me. And after two and a half years of traveling sales, I ended up in California. So I'm here today. Um, fell in love with California, decided that I wanted to move here. Um, but in order to move forward with my life, I actually had to go back home to take care of the warrant that I had from the burglary from years before. Because I hadn't had my license in like seven years at that time because of my choices. And I knew if I was going to move forward into the life I felt like God was calling me to, then I needed to go back to take care of my past and get my license back. And so I left selling magazines in December of 2007. Um, and, during, and, and I ended up moving to California in March of 2008. But during that time, um, I, was, I was really seeking out faith questions like I had never done before. I was watching all these tele-evangelist shows, ordering oil, anointing myself. I do not encourage you to do that. Like I had no idea what I was doing, right? Um, and, I, but, and I was hearing the prosperity gospel, like as long as I give my tithe and my offering that God was going to make my life prosper. And so I came to California thinking now that I'm pursuing God, that things were going to be really easy and he was going to make my life prosper. Uh, but I came here not knowing anyone and my life was really difficult, right? Within a, within a few months, I, was, uh, I had no friends. I had no money for rent. I was actually a month behind on rent. And... Um, I remember getting down on my knees in my apartment, like, God, like, I felt like you were calling me here, and I'm trying to move forward in my life, but yet, like, I'm so lonely, and I know nobody, and I just remember praying this prayer, like, God, why would you do this to me? Like, why would you do this to me? Why? And that, the next morning after praying that prayer, I walk out my apartment complex, and I start walking to my car, and I see my apartment complex manager start making a beeline for me. So uh, being a month behind a rent, I kind of tried to tuck my head down to walk by her, and Carol said my name, and so I turned around. And I was like, hey, Carol, you know, how's things going? And she's like, and I'm, in my mind, I'm already thinking about the lie I'm going to tell her about how I'm going to get the rent to her. 
And uh, Carol says, Cam, I just really felt like God asking me to ask you if you want to come to church with me. And so I'm like, you don't want the rent? Like, I'll go wherever, <laughs> wherever you want. I don't know how this works, but yeah. And so uh, it was September of uh, August of 2008. I went to church. And during, during that time, I was actually reading a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a 40-day spiritual healing book. It's written by Rick Warren. Um, and he talked about needing community, and we're not called to live this life alone. And I had isolated myself because of my addictions for a really long time. And I had no idea what it meant to live in community, to serve people, to give my life as a sacrifice. And so when I went to church for the first time, I went to speak to a men's pastor because Rick Warren had talked about small groups. I had no idea what that meant. Um, and so I went to find a small group. The pastor's name's Jeff Coons, River City Christian, Rancho Cordova. Um, when I went to talk to him about small groups, he's like, Cam, he's like, it's great you want to get connected right away, but actually, we're going on our annual summer men's conference this weekend, next weekend, and we won't be here, but we would love for you to come with. And he told me it was like $200. I couldn't even pay rent at the time. Uh, but he told me that I could go for free. Um, but he left out the part that it was going to cost me the rest of my life. <laughs> and in September 5th at that men's conference, I submitted my life to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, man. It means a lot to me. And the cool thing about that story, within five weeks, I was ba saved, baptized. I started college at Heal College, and I started exercising regularly. You see, I've had to overcome a lot of hurdles in my life in order um, to get up for today. In, in high school, uh, when I started college at Heal College, I had a 1.2 high school GPA, you know. Uh, I, before starting college, I had never read an entire book. I, I didn't know how to use a computer. I had never uh, learned how to write papers. My professors probably still I think I don't know how to write, but... And, and the thought of failure, it almost crippled me from ever going to college and pursuing the dream of a better future. Uh, are there any, any Rocky fans in here? Any Rocky fans? Like, yes. Like, I, I grew up a really big Rocky fan because in the movie, Rocky was always like David, an underdog, and I could, I could relate to his story. Uh, the chips were oftentimes stacked against him. And to become champion, Rocky was forced to overcome some impossible odds. And one of the most memorable quotes from those movies that has always stuck with me is when Rocky is having a conversation with the son, and he says to him, you, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. Or it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward, because that's how winning is done. Amen. And the reason I bring up that quote is because many people who find themselves in the cave never find a way out. Like, and if, if you are not prepared to take the hit, because I can guarantee you they're coming, you can end up becoming stuck in the past, and you're never free to create a better future. And rather than focusing on God, I think that we begin to compare ourselves to others, dwelling on what did or did not happen, on what someone did or didn't do for us. But I believe that life is more about how a person responds and what happens. And we can get hit and blame others for our circumstances, or we can use that cave 
to prepare us for battle. You see, to be honest, I'm, I'm still a little afraid of public speaking. I still have this internal voice that haunts me, that tells me at times that I'm not good enough, that I don't have what it takes. But I can imagine standing before God one day, and he shows me the life I could have lived if I stopped worrying about what other people thought, if I quit living in fear of failure, if I was willing to use the cave as an opportunity to prepare for battle. You see, Jesus said that with the faith of a mustard seed that you can move mountains. And I'm still trying to figure out what that means in my own life. But as I have had the opportunity to step into more and more caves, since I've quit running from my fears, God's helped me to overcome what once seemed impossible. And I've been able to use the experiences um, I've been able to use experiences in my life to experience amazing victories in Christ. You see, caves in life for each and every one of us, I know that they're inevitable. But if your why is bigger, if Jesus is bigger in your life and your problems, I believe that God can use our most difficult moments even for our greatest good. At least he, I know he has for mine. And if something is important enough to you, I believe if you're why is big enough, then regardless of the obstacles, you can overcome. I promise you, you will overcome. If you, uh, you see, there's only one path. Like when you've really placed your faith in, in Christ, there's only, there's only one path. And I understand from my own life that every season is in preparation for the next season. That regardless what you're going through right now, like it is in preparation for the next season. And whether you're 18 or 85, if you still have breath in your lungs, your next season is coming. You see, in the cave, David's why became his people, which I love about that. You see, he didn't focus on his problems, and instead he sacrificed his life to help serve other people in the cave. And there's giants in life that each and every one of us are overcome. And there are caves we must go through that can steal our soul if we let it. But like that world-renowned theologian Rocky once said, life isn't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can hit and keep moving forward. It doesn't matter what happens. What matters is how you respond. It doesn't matter what others say about you. What matters is what you say about you. What truly matters is what God says about you. And in his worst moment, running for his life, David didn't blame God. Instead, he took his eyes off his problem and leveraged his life so that others could find their life. So you may not realize it, there was a process in preparation in David's life to the palace. It was 15 years from the time that David was anointed by the prophet Samuel before he would become king. And another seven years before he became king over all of Israel. Um, and he encountered many caves along the way to becoming king. And I want to close with the song um, that David wrote in the cave, running for his life from King Saul. It's in Psalm 57. And, and the reason I love, if you guys ever get a chance to, if you, is if you can read David's psalms, you understand why God called David a man after his own heart. He had some really difficult and inspiring conversations with God. And in Psalm 57, uh, this is actually written in the cave of Adullam 
during David's lowest point in his life. And we get to see a glimpse of what it means to be a person after God's heart. This is Psalm 57. In the cave, David pens these words. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends me from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, who, men whose teeth and, and spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. I will wake my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Father God, we are so incredibly grateful for you, God. I know that each and every one of us are on a journey, God. Each and every one of us, God, we have caves that we have to go through. And I pray that as we, as we enter those seasons of life, God, um, that you would help prepare us for the next season. We honor you with our time. I thank you, um, Conquer Bible Church, for this opportunity. And I pray that you would be glorified in each and every one of our lives. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your powerful and mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. <laughs>